0: Uh, Scripture reading for today comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 18. And this is the word of the Lord. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen.
1: All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back at 11 a.m. service. Uh, it's been like three months. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know me, uh, my name is Xiang and I'm currently serving as the children's pastor in the other building. So I used to be here all, all the time, but now um, it's kind of on, on rare occasions, I suppose, I get to be here. But to have full band, I, I miss the full band. All right, so it's good to be here worshiping with you guys. Uh, before I start, let's, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. A uh, Father, We thank you for speaking to us through your word. We pray this morning that your word would dwell in us richly, that it may challenge, shake, and shape us, Lord, into the image of your son. Pray for our ears and our hearts to be open so that we may gladly and joyfully receive your word. Humble us, humble our hearts this morning, and we pray all of these things in your precious son's name. Amen. All right. So one of the first jobs that I had out of college was working as an IT support person for the Innova Health System. IT support, help desk, whatever you wanna call it. Basically, we would get calls from nurses and doctors who need their password changed to get into their system or their computer is slow. It's not working, right? This program isn't opening. So they would call us and we would try to walk them through over the phone, guide them to troubleshooting the issue, if worst comes to worst, we would remotely access their computers, right, to fix whatever, or try to fix whatever issues that they were having. So during my time as an IT support person, I learned two dark secrets about the IT support world, and I'm willing to share them with you. I'm willing to expose them to you this morning, right? If you've worked in IT support, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So secret number one. We get paid to Google. We get paid to Google. So the doctor calls me, hey, this computer is giving me an error. It says fatal exception 0x0, blah, blah, blah. And I pretend like I know exactly what he's talking about. It's like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that one before, but in the back, I'm frantically Googling, right? The answer, fatal exception 0, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I give them the resolution, and he thinks I'm a genius, right? He says, thank you, he hangs up. But honestly, I don't know any more than he does, but I just Google, I just Google. If that doesn't work, secret number two, we get paid to tell people to restart their computers. It's actually pretty remarkable. 90% of the issues that they call for, you know, they say they call, it's like, hey, my computer's really slow, this this program isn't opening, right? It's throwing me an error. I pretend to be deep in thought for like five seconds. Hmm. Let me think. Have you tried restarting your computer? <laughs> and they're like, no. I'm like, please try. Boom, game over. Problem solved. 90% of the time, guaranteed that your problem will be fixed. Right? So some of you guys might judge us, be like, hey, you guys are lazy. You don't do your jobs right. But <laughs> there's logic behind this. Right? There's logic behind why we ask people to restart. Because as you use the computer, just think about your own experience with your computers. Right? as you use it over time, how many programs do you open? How many apps do you have open over time, right? And so you have all of these apps, programs, and processes running in the background. You probably have 20 tabs open on your Google Chrome, right? You probably have updates that your computer is begging you to apply for months and months, but you ignore it, right? And so, guess what happens, right? Over time, you have too many things running in the background, too many background processes running, the computer starts losing its performance and its function, and it gets so slow and sluggish. So, restarting your computer right, forces it to shut down all of the programs and the processes. It gives it a clean slate, and it brings it back to the baseline of what it was meant to do. And I share this because I think in a similar way, right, as we go through life, A lot of us get bogged down by our sins. A lot of us get bogged down by the burdens of this life and the brokenness that we constantly see and experience in this world. Not only that, we become distracted, confused, conflicted by all of the competing messages, right? the noise, and even the allure of the world. And what ends up happening, happening over time is that we become spiritually sluggish. So there are times we, as individuals, and as a church, we need a restart to bring ourselves back to the baseline of who we are and what we're meant to do, to bring us back to what grounds us. And one of those things that grounds us the Apostle Paul talks about today is the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. And through our text today, God's word reminds us that as those who have been resurrected with Christ, we are called to live this new life with confidence, hope, and humility, knowing our King is victorious and he will finish what he started. Let me say that one more time. As those who have been resurrected with Christ, we are called to live this new life with confidence, hope, and humility, knowing our king is victorious and will finish what he started. And I'm going to break this down into three points. Number one, Christ is risen. Number two, we have been resurrected. And number three, we will be resurrected. So number one, Christ is risen. So among many things that Paul, you know, addresses in his letter, you know, whether it's like divisions that's going on in the church or rules for marriage, what to do with food sacrifice to idols or what to do with all of these spiritual gifts and how to use them, he spends a good portion of the last part of his letter actually addressing the confusion about what happens after death, right? The, the, the essential question of humanity, right? What happens When we die, especially as believers, because apparently some claimed in the church that there is no such thing as resurrection. When you die, that is it. It's just blackness. You're annihilated. That is it. Game over. Whereas others thought, well, let's say there is a resurrection. What does it even look like, right? Does that mean we become these disembodied spirits that are floating around as orbs in heaven or something like that? Right. So in our passage today, Paul responds to all of these ongoing discussions, confusion, and chatter, right? And he wants to bring some clarity into this matter, right? He's like rolling up his sleeve. He's like, all right, let me teach you a thing or two, right? And to do this, what we see him do is he's bringing bringing them back to the basics of the gospel, the fundamentals of the faith, right? He's essentially hitting their restart button to bring them back to what grounds them, it's kind of like what we just did with the Apostles' Creed. When we declare you know, and, and, and proclaim this Apostles' Creed as a church, we're proclaiming and declaring with all church throughout all of the ages, including those who have gone before us, that this is what we believe as Christians. We declare with all, everyone, every Christian, that this is what we hold to. This is what is precious to us as Christians. All right, so in verse 3... 4, we see Paul, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So you see, Paul makes it very clear as part of his gospel message, yes, Christ died absorbing every single drop of God's wrath for our vile, wicked sins. Yes, Christ was buried as his body went into the grave confirming his death. But you see, it doesn't end there. It does not end there. He was raised on the third day. You see, Jesus did not remain dead and stuck in the grave, but he was raised to life. As a matter of fact, he was so raised that not only did he appear to Cephas, who is known as Apostle Peter, and to the 12 disciples, but in verse 6, Paul says he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. More than 500 brothers at one time. And, you know, by saying these things, he's not trying to prove. He's not out here writing to the Corinthian church to prove the resurrection of Jesus because for Paul, there is nothing to prove. It is a certainty. It is a reality. It's as certain as the sun rising tomorrow morning for Paul. He is stating a fact. You see, he is so sure of Jesus' resurrection that he even dares the readers of his letter to check his claim. Right? He says, he appeared to more than 500 brothers, most of whom are still alive. Most of whom are still alive. He's basically saying, if you don't believe me, go check with them. Right? If you don't believe me, ask any of them, which would be a risky move if Jesus didn't resurrect. Right? Because it would be easily refutable by any of the 500 people. That people can ask. They will be like, that's nonsense. That never happened. Right? Paul will look like a fool, like a lunatic. His ministry would have no credibility because it's founded in untruth, right? In falsehood. But Paul is confident because he was a witness. He saw the risen Lord. You see, the resurrection and the empty tomb is a historical event. It's a historical event that puzzles and confuses even the secular scholars of our day. And they make terrible attempts time and time again to try to discredit and downplay the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. But they have been unsuccessful because you are trying to prove what is true to be not true. You are trying to falsify what is true. Christ is risen. He is risen. But the question is, right, why should the resurrection matter to us? Why is the resurrection so important to the gospel? Well, Paul makes it clear, and he makes a case in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, guess what? You are still in your sins. In other words, if Christ died for our sins but did not rise again, That means our sins and ultimately death got the best of Him. You see, if Christ did not rise again, He was defeated by our sins. He was held down by our sins, and He was overpowered by death. You see, without the resurrection, we can only dream of things like overcoming sin Overcoming that there is no such thing without the resurrection. There is no new life. And Paul says our faith is futile. It is worthless without the resurrection. It is just wishful thinking. See, without the resurrection, we are still in our sins. We are still in debt. We are of all people most to be pitied for our wishful thinking. But praise God, right? Praise God for the empty tomb. But the resurrection of Jesus is the declaration that God's justice has been satisfied. He is pleased. It is done. It is the receipt of the debt that Jesus paid. It is the receipt. And it shows us that the work has been It has been completed once and for all. There's nothing more to do. It is done through and through. And Jesus now is the resurrected king who has once and for all conquered, destroyed, smashed, and defeated sin and death. You see, in Christ, death and sin no longer have a hold over us. It is no longer our master. And we live because he lives. We live because he lives. So let me ask you this morning. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Is the, res- is the resurrection a central part of your gospel? And I hope, right? I hope we can all confidently say yes and Amen? Amen? Because if Christ is our resurrected king, then he must. He must have our full allegiance in all parts of our lives, all aspects, all facets of our lives must be lived in submission to him. Your careers, your finances, your relationships, your endeavors, and even your dreams. These things must serve to glorify him and him alone to reflect his generosity, to reflect his love, his passion, his excellence, his grace, and his mercy. So let me ask you, is Christ your king? Who or what rules over your life? Or let me ask it this way, who do you serve? Because you see, in Christ, we are no longer enslaved to our sinful, selfish desires, but we now have the ability to live for him, to serve him, to glorify him. Because the resurrection of Christ not only has the power to defeat sin and death, but it also has the power to give new life. And this is the restart we need. This truth is the restart we need. The fact that he has the power to give new life. And this brings us to our second point. Number two, we have been resurrected. So in verses eight through nine, Paul recounts his own experience with the Lord. You know, we see that Jesus didn't only appear to Paul, but as a result, Paul became one of the apostles. Right? Paul was one of the building blocks of the early church. And when Paul declares himself to be unworthy, I am the least of the apostles, he's not trying to be humble. right? He's not, he's not humble bragging, Oh, you're bad, but I'm bad. You're a sinner, but I'm really a sinner. Right? He's, he's, not, he's not humble bragging. Right? But he means it. He means it 100% because of his terrible past of persecuting The church. And this should make us wonder right, how is it possible that someone who was ravaging and trying to destroy the early church in its infancy, who imprisoned and even approved executions of Christians, is now himself imprisoned and willing to die for the very gospel message that he once despised? How is this possible? Right? What makes no sense in our minds is made possible by the power of the resurrection. You see, in Jesus, Paul has been given a new life, which led to his radical change, this 180-degree flip in his life. Elsewhere in Romans 6.5, he writes, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, what this is saying is, when we are in Christ, our old former selves have died with him in his death. Not only that, but we also rose again with him in his resurrection. Not only did we die with him, but we also rose with him in his resurrection So, just like Paul, right, we too have been given a new life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, to be clear, this isn't just a future goal, right? It's a present reality. This resurrection life is not just a future goal. It is a present reality Because if you are in Christ, you who were once dead to sin have been made alive. You are already living the resurrected life. You know what this means? This means we are not the same people that we once were. We have been transformed. And just like Paul, in this new life, everything changes, right? We're given new identity, adopted sons and daughters, citizens of this new kingdom, right? New purpose to make Christ known, to make disciples of all nations. We're given new desires to fight against sin and to live for God. And we're given new hope in the future redemption of all things. So let me ask you, how has the Lord changed your life? What has he done in your life? And for me, my natural, you know, disposition and like inclination and ultimately my, my vice is actually laziness, right? Some would call it the sin of sloth because before I came to the faith, I was this highly unmotivated, super unproductive, you know, chronic procrastinator who was never on time, who never did things on time, who never showed up on time. And if you texted me, I never texted you back. And so people hated texting me, right? I was always rotting in my bed, just watching TV all day. I was glued to my computer screen, just playing hours upon hours of StarCraft II. Right? I was that guy that Pastor Paul was talking about last week, right? That, that guy who sort of is, tries to escape the harsh realities of this world by... Playing games and watching TV, (laughs) I think I was literally a living, breathing blob. At least that's what it felt like. But when God graciously took a hold of me through the power of the gospel, right, something happened. Something changed. I can't quite explain it. I can't explain the process of it. It's a bit of a mystery for me as well. But something grew in me, right, a sense of responsibility a sense of ownership of my own life, right? a passion and a zeal to do something greater than for myself. Right? It also gave me a sense of direction. Not in the sense that you know I, I had my whole life figured out then and there, right? but it gave me this desire. I, I wanted to live for something greater than myself, greater than fulfilling my own selfish, comfortable desires. And, and, and it produced in me this internal motivation to get off my butt, to be involved in the lives of others, to step out of my comfort zones, to serve people, right? A desire to labor for God's kingdom. And as Pastor Paul always says, a desire to do the small things in life well. Whatever I've been given in terms of responsibility, to do it Well, and I'm not saying like I got life figured out. I'm perfectly not lazy anymore because that's not true. I still struggle with it and I'm prone to fall back into my laziness. But one thing is for sure. I am not the same person that I used to be. And I hope some of my friends here can also testify to what God has done in my life. I'm not the same person that I used to be. And in a similar way, I'm sure a lot of us in this room, can acknowledge and testify to this new life that we've been given in Christ. And may we praise Him and thank Him for what He has done in His grace in our lives. But now that we've hit sort of this restart, right, this reset button, what does it look like to move forward? Right? What does it look like to live out this resurrection life? Right? What are we to do? Well, One way that this passage shows us is to live with a posture of humility. Posture of humility. So when Paul talks about how he came to the faith and how he came to be an apostle, what does he say in verse 10? He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, the gospel humbles us to admit that we are who we are solely by the grace of God alone and nothing else, nothing more. Our faith, our new life, our ability to sit here confidently before the Lord in the sanctuary and everything that we are, it's not because we were special, right? It's not because we had something to offer. It's not because we were better than the person next to us. but Only by the grace of God alone. Only by the grace of God alone that raised our dead selves to life. But you see, we have a tendency to use our God-given grace as a platform to glorify ourselves. Right? You think about ministry. Oh, I'm doing so much for God. What are they doing? Right? Even your character. Oh, thank goodness I'm not like that person. And even our suffering. But there is such a thing as suffering righteousness you know, some of us may be like, oh, I've been through a lot in life, right? And it's shaped me to be who I am today, which is all good and true. Praise God. But we twist this truth, this reality, and we start to use it to look down on others. And we say, oh, that person is probably like that because they haven't been through much in life. Right? They probably don't know what hardship is. Right? They're probably struggling with that little thing because they just don't know how much harder life actually is. <laughs> and when we do that, what we're doing is using God's grace in our suffering as a way to elevate ourselves. Right? It cheapens God's grace. It cheapens His work in our lives when we declare ourselves to be better than others because we've gone through things. So rather than Right? Look at what I have. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Our posture should always be, look at what he has done in my life. We testify not to our greatness, but to his grace. Right? Our lives are stories of his grace and not our greatness. And we must remember that. Another way to live out this resurrection life is to be bold and to be confident in the calling that you have received. In response to the grace he received, what does Paul say? He says he worked harder than any of them, right? Any of the other apostles. And he gives off this confidence, this passion, this boldness. But you know that boldness and confidence doesn't come from himself because he just said, I am unworthy. I am the least. But because he experienced what the risen Lord had done in his own life, because he has seen what God can do, he fully believes in the transformative work of the gospel. That's where he gets confidence from, right? That's where he gets his boldness from. Not from himself, but from God's resurrective power. And I think, you know, we can all sort of agree you know, this day and age, it's hard for us to be excited about sharing God's word, the gospel, with others um, just because the world. You know, has become more hostile to God's Word. You know, we kind of think, oh, is it really going to make a difference? Am I actually going to really speak, you know, get to this person when I speak these words? Are they actually going to understand? Or are they just going to hate me for saying these things? So much so that we'd rather live in ignorance and apathy, right? We'd just rather not do it. But given everything that we just read, given everything that we just reflected on, these attitudes deny what the resurrected king is doing in us and in the world. The fact is, he is working. He is working 24-7, every single second, just like how he transformed Paul, just like how he transformed you. He is in the business of transforming those around us and ultimately the world. So what we're called to do as part of the plan right, is to be faithful in proclaiming His truth, to be confident in His gospel, and to be fervent in prayer. Because it is not by the power of your words, it is not by the eloquency of your words that you transform people, right, but only by His Spirit who has the power to resurrect the dead only by His power. So may the Lord increase our faith. May the Lord increase our boldness this morning. Because there will be a day when God will finish what He started and by His grace will carry us through the finish line to meet Him face to face. And this brings us to our last point. Number three, we will be resurrected. So, just to be clear, right? When we say we as resurrected people are called to endure and to be faithful to God's calling in this world, we're not saying you know, that we're going to be shielded from all suffering and the hostility of this world. No, we're not saying that at all. Actually, the opposite is true, right? The more faithful we are, the more suffering right, and backlash that we will receive. Nor is this calling us to live in ignorance of the brokenness and the hardships of this world. It's not telling us to force ourselves to think happy thoughts, right? Because Paul himself was imprisoned. Paul himself suffered so much suffering throughout his life, and he expresses the weight of it multiple multiple times throughout his letter. So you see, the reality on this side of heaven if you already haven't noticed, is that life is hard. Life is hard. We're still living in our broken, weak bodies. Life is filled with constant trials, and we will face some form of suffering for our faith. Not only that, we battle against our own flesh, the hostile world, and the enemy who's out to get us. But here's the thing, right? this life isn't meant to be this endless, eternal cycle of struggling. No. You see, there is an end to all of this chaos, to all of this madness. Christ has started his redemptive work in this broken world, and he promises that he will one day return to finish what he started. So what we're called to do, right, is to endure and to be faithful by looking forward to something greater, by looking forward to what Christ has in store for us. And Paul gives us a glimpse of a future day in verses 51 through 52 of our passage. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and, and we shall be changed. You see, what he's saying is there will be a glorious day, whether we're still alive or whether we're buried in a grave, when in a blink of an eye, Jesus, the resurrected King, will raise us up and transform our old, dying, decaying bodies to be like His glorious body. And the Bible tells us that what is perishable will be clothed with imperishability. What is mortal will put on immortality. And bodies that were once weak, broken, and worn out will be raised from the dust and transformed into something incorruptible, beautiful, and glorious. But most importantly, we will finally be greeted by our glorious resurrected King and we will get to see Him face to face. What was once dimly lit, what once we couldn't see clearly will shine brightly and we will see Him as He is and our faith will be made sight. And in His presence... The glimpses of the joy and the peace and redemption that we see in this life will be experienced in full and for eternity. That is what is promised for us. would did you say? We have so much to look forward to in Christ. You know, it's kind of like running a marathon, um, more so like a, a 10K for me because with my flat feet, I can't run 26 miles, right? But... When you run these kinds of races, you have moments, right? You have moments when you get the runner's high and you feel like you can run miles upon miles followed by moments of despair. Oh my goodness, I don't know if I could finish this race, right? Moments of collapse maybe even, right? I can't do this. I'm going to give up. We get tired. We get weary. And we want to give up. That is until we see the finish line up ahead, and we see our friends who have gone before us waiting for us to cross that finish line, right? And somehow, when we see the finish line, we can muster up the strength, this last ounce of endurance and perseverance to cross it, to finish the race. So for us, right, knowing that Christ will return Knowing that Christ will redeem all things one day is like seeing the finish line. You see, we can endure. We can persevere as Christians and finish the race because by God's grace, we know what's on the other side. We know that Christ is waiting for us. We know that he will meet us. We know that we will be with him. That is why we, of all people, can live with confidence and hope because we know. Because we know that Christ is risen. The outcome has been determined, He has already conquered sin and death. Our God is victorious. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So, as God's people, what do we have to fear? What do we lack that we already do not have in Christ? What's the worst that can happen to us? And we know the answer. The worst thing that can happen to us is that we will be with our Lord and Savior, our resurrected King for eternity. I know these past two years have been a struggle, right? A lot of things have happened in this world, in our lives. Many of us have grown weary, apathetic, and even apprehensive about our faith. God and his ministry, myself included. Right? It hasn't been easy. But my prayer is that in light of this resurrection reality, that we can hit the restart button, that God will hit that restart button in our lives, that he would awaken us from our spiritual slumber to hunger once again for his glorious, transformative presence in our lives, that God would re-energize and revitalize our sluggish hearts and give us fresh convictions to continue his work in our church, in our families, in our workplace, in our schools, wherever we are. Because here's the reality. Christ is risen. And we have already been resurrected with him. And we will wholly be resurrected when he returns. But until then... Let's resolve to fight this good fight of faith, pursuing after what God calls good, right, true, and noble, proclaiming his good word wherever we are, and humbly serving those around us with all humility, knowing that God is actively at work in our lives and in the world. And when we get tired and weary and burdened, let's spur each other on are reminding each other of the hope and the confidence that we have in our risen king who is with us and will return to take us home but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ let's pray father we praise you for you are good even when we were dead in our sins even when we had nothing to offer but rebellion and unrighteousness still you sent your son to die on the cross taking our sin guilt and shame and raised them up in three days gloriously conquering sin and death so that we can have this new life so whenever we feel weak apathetic and discouraged remind us that we have been united to jesus in his resurrection having access to the riches of his grace mercy and strength Help us to press on forward, to be bold and confident in the gospel, knowing that you are at work in this world, and you will bring about the fullness of redemption soon and very soon upon your son's return. We thank you for your word this morning, and we pray all of this in your precious son's name.